everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW's weekly show where we hit on all the latest and greatest news of the week. What a week it was. No Bayern Munich action. Certainly no Germany action. You've you've already heard my thoughts uh, extensively on the special edition podcast we had about the World Cup final and specifically about Germany's lackluster performance on that. So won't dive too much into that this week, if at all. So uh, I'm just happy to be here. It's that time of year where Things tend to slow down a little bit, not just in the world of Bayern Munich and Germany, but also in life in general. Uh, the holiday season tends to be very, very busy at certain points, but then you hit that lull where things finally start to slow down for once in the year. And I think that that's where I'm at personally. I have a couple of days here where uh, I do have work, but I don't have much else going on, which is very odd for me since I am consistently on the run nonstop in my life. But either way, I'm here to deliver this podcast and have some fun with it as well. Uh, we, of course, dive into everything Bayern Munich and Germany related, and there's so, so much to talk about. When you think about everything going on with this club, it's hard to believe that they are in the middle of a break right now just because there is so much drama going on. So many potential moves. I mean, it has just been absolutely crazy trying to keep up with it all, but that's what we do at BFW. We try and stay on top of everything. And uh, hey, let's just get right to it and we'll follow our normal format, which is the five things that we learned this week. And specifically, the first thing that I learned this week was that Bayern Munich's goalkeeping situation is still a mess. And and here's why. We all know that Manuel Neuer's out for the season with his broken leg, and that's just incredibly unfortunate. Some people say it's irresponsible. Other people are backing Neuer because, you know, he has the right to take a vacation and do what he wants. However you feel about how his leg was broken, the fact of the matter is he's not there. And Bayern Munich has spent the last week and a half or to two weeks really trying to think about how everything is going to come together for the second half of the season in terms of figuring out his replacement. Obviously, in-house, they have Sven Ulreich, who has just been really solid in his appearances. Now, he hasn't been perfect. I'm sure there are several plays that he'd love to have back over the years. But Ulreich is, is one, a confidant in Neuer. He has absorbed everything Neuer has learned in his career, and Neuer trusts Ulreich. So just through that relationship, Ulreich has been able to improve his own game and really assimilate himself into playing the style that Neuer does, even when Neuer's not available. And let's be honest, Ulreich is not Neuer, but he's able to come in and fill that kind of role. And, and no, I don't feel like the rest of the players have that high level of confidence they have in Neuer in Ulreich. I don't think they do, but he's a solid backup nonetheless. You're never going to have really two exceptional world-class goalkeepers in at the same time on the roster, especially at a club like Bayern Munich. So Ulreich is probably about as good as you're going to get in terms of keeping a backup who will be happy in that role and who can be productive in it. The downside to Neuer and his effervescent presence as just one of the best goalkeepers, not just in the world right now, but of all time, is that when you try and integrate a younger player like Alexander Nubel into the mix, it typically does not work. Nubel is goal-oriented, he's hungry, he wants to be a starter on a major team, and he could not handle being a backup to Neuer. 
Now you could look at Newbel's situation and you could say, well, why was he, why is he so mad right now? Because the latest reports say that Newbel is really the one that is pushing back against a move in returning from his loan at AS Monaco. Now, Monaco itself seems willing to make the deal, but they want to do it on their terms. It has to be soon so they can get a replacement, and it has to be monetarily beneficial to them. Monaco has absolutely no obligation to give Nubel uh, back to Bayern Munich, but right now, Nubel is the holdup. He is the roadblock in this whole deal. It appears that he is so angry and so bitter about how things have played out for him at Bayern Munich that he wants no parts of coming back. Even if he is going to be the starter right now, he doesn't want it because he just seems scorned. Now, why would Nubel be so bitter? You have to look at how he was recruited, what the pitch was, what he was promised, because it does appear that this has less to do with any type of feud with goalkeeping coach Tony Tapolovich, or if there was any type of heat or friction with Manuel Neuer, it seems that Nubel is upset with what he was promised when he inked his deal. Now, if you remember back when he did sign that contract, there was some uncertainty with Neuer. He was coming off of a foot injury. People were starting to doubt that he could maintain this high level of play for much longer. And that was really all very, very premature. I mean, it was certainly the tail end of what had been a couple of injury-marred seasons for Neuer, but there wasn't really, in my mind, no indication that he could not come back and achieve the same level of play. He was, of course, a bit younger then, and still hungry, and still had many things in front of him. So for Nubel to ink that deal, no matter what he was told, he should have been able to look at the situation and say, I'm X years old. I I need to be on the pitch right now. I don't need to be a backup, even if it is to one of the top goalkeepers of all time. And I think that's where all of this bitterness stems from, is that if I had to guess, and this is purely a guess, this is purely just me having a shot in the dark about what was discussed. I'm thinking that Nubel was probably promised, one, some playing time during his first year at Bayern Munich, which he got barely any. And then I'm thinking that there was some progressive plan to give him more and more time each year until he was ready to take over. And when it was apparent that that wasn't going to happen, I think Nubel then really started to press for a loan, which he eventually got. And Nubel, by all accounts, has been very good for Monaco. There is no doubt that he has shown that he has the ability to be a top-flight goalkeeper on a very good team in Europe. I don't think that there is there are many people that are questioning that, but... Did Bayern Munich do Nubel wrong, or is Nubel just being immature in the situation? I'd love to know exactly what was discussed, because it would help me determine how I should feel about it. But either way, it doesn't appear that Nubel's coming back. Ulreich, the latest on him is that Bayern Munich is not really all that comfortable with him as the number one. So they are looking actively to bring someone in, and we've seen a ton of names bandied about most of which have already been poo-pooed by the sporting director, Brazo. So it's one of these cases where we have now focused in on one particular name who is quite infamous among the Bayern Munich fan base, and that's Borussia Mönchengladbach goalkeeper Jan Sommer. Sommer, of course, is world-class. He is, I mean, we've seen him just have incredible performances. He is, in my mind, one of the top 10 goalkeepers in the world right now. So to be able to get him, even for 
a fee of what has been reportedly been 5 million euro. It's a no brainer. You have to do it, especially if you're Bayern Munich and you have this doubt about Lorike. Now, I don't have the same kind of doubt that Bayern Munich does about Sven the Wall, but if you have the opportunity to get Summer, I think you almost have to do it. Ulrich, to his credit, has reportedly embraced that there will be a competition and doesn't seem to mind that the club is bringing in someone to battle him for the number one spot. Now, if you're Ulrich, you're probably looking at the rumors and you're already making that assessment that this club only sees me as a number two. And and he's probably okay with that because when he signed back with the club after his hiatus, it was specifically to be the number two goalkeeper. So I don't think in his mind this is something that he's going to worry about. Sure, I bet he would like to be the number one, to be annoyed in that way and to be given the opportunity to go out and do something special. But at the same time, this is his career. This is what he has acknowledged he is at this stage of his, of this, of his career, and that's a backup. So for them to go out and get Summer, I don't think it's going to create any issues with Ulrich. I don't think it's going to be a big issue on the team. I do think it does give Bayern Munich a chance to compete with PSG in the Champions League, to go through and perhaps win the Pokal, and to maybe be able to go out and hold off everyone else in the Bundesliga. Summer is that good. How will he acclimate at Bayern Munich? Will, will he be able to fit in? Will the little idiosyncrasies of his style be able to work with those of the Bayern defenders? That all remains to be seen, but I think if you have the opportunity to get Jan Summer, you absolutely have to do it. And in my mind, this is about as good of a situation as you can get. He speaks German. He is well acclimated to the Bundesliga. He knows the players within the Bundesliga. He knows the players at Bayern Munich. And he is no stranger to the big stage. So for him going in and playing against PSG in the Champions League, sure, it will be a thrill. But I don't think it's going to be overwhelming for him. He has been the kind of player who is able to raise his level of play against the competition he faces. So I think that, if anything, if there is one move that Bayern Munich can make, you have to go out and get Summer because he is affordable and he basically checks every single box of what you would want in a goalkeeper. Now, what happens with Summer when Neuer comes back? Well, let's just quickly, quickly look at that situation because one, there is no guarantee that that Neuer's going to come back at 100%. Sure, it, it's a broken leg, and it doesn't mean that that's you know they should take him out into the backyard and shoot him and put him down like you know, he's some kind of old or aging and injured animal. No, he, he is definitely a great player at this stage of his career. But there has to be some fair questions about how he would be able to come back. Will he have the same side-to-side mobility? Will his agility be affected? Will his foot speed be affected? All of these things really do play into how Newble is able to play his brand or his style of goalkeeper. And I think that with Neuer, you have this really unicorn of a keeper that that nobody else plays. Like he has created this position in and of itself that only he really knows how to play. So there is going to be an adjustment for anyone, but if he's not able to do all of those little things that he's been able to do throughout his career, how, how does Byron move on? Is this potential move for summer something that would be just for the second half of this season? Would it be for a year and a half? If so, what happens with Ulrich if you have both Neuer and Summer on the roster? There are a lot of unanswered questions at this point. 
But the one thing I do know is if you're looking at this at all in a short-term window, if you're just looking at the next six months and what's best for the team this season, then you have to go out and get Summer. I don't think there's any question about that. The second thing I learned this week is that Joshua Kimmich is on the fast track to being named the captain of Bayern Munich. And for Kimmich, I think anyone that's watched the team, this is pretty much a natural move, right? Manuel Neuer is the, is the current captain. Thomas Muller is the second in command, for lack of a better term. He's the vice captain. So with Neuer being out and Muller's role reportedly being reduced, it's a no-brainer to me that Kimmich would be the next in line. Now, Kimmich, for all that he is as a player, and he is just a fantastic player, he tends to run a little bit hot, as we have talked about many times here. So is his mentality the kind that players would love to follow? I think so. I think that he's got that attitude. He's got that fiery demeanor that that other players like. They like a captain that, that works that way. And it is a little bit different than how Manuel Neuer has manned that position over the years. Kimmich will bring something else. And I also think there's a different dynamic because he is a field player and can interact with the rest of the players on the pitch in real time. So for Kimmich, I, I think he's obviously born for this role. Um, what will happen ultimately, I think we'll see because while there have been those reports about Mueller, I have, you know, you, you do have some doubts that, this team is going to be able to function properly without him. And if Mueller's out there, I think it's pretty safe to say that he will be the one wearing the armband. But if Neuer's not available and Mueller is on the bench, like some have speculated, then I think Kimmich is the man to wear that armband. And I think it's a good fit for him. Now, as far as his fiery demeanor goes, Kimmich of late, especially after that Germany just huge flame out in the World Cup, he he got really down on himself to the point where Brazo and some of the other executives at Bayern Munich took some interest in contacting him and trying to work with him to help him get through the downtimes that he is experiencing. Now, what we know about Kimmich is even if he is upset about something or if he's just down in the dumps, he will bounce back. There's no doubt about that. And I think he'll bring that same kind of fire and that same kind of energy to the pitch that he always does. But I do think that this experience with Germany has caused him to, to look inside of himself. And one of the things that has emerged over the last few days about Kimmich and how he is really just primed to be this role or play this role as captain is that he is considered the bridge on that squad, the one that works with all of the cliques, whether it's the older veterans like Thomas Muller or Manuel Neuer, or it's the French part of the squad with Kingsley Coman, Luca Hernandez, Benjamin Pavar, Matt Tistel, all of those players, or just the different little sects that we may be that we may see, where some guys are just hang out in certain cliques with other ones. Kimmich is considered to be the one that bridges them all together. So for me, this move is a no-brainer. I think in the end, this is something that Bayern Munich probably needs to consider. If there's any way to do it on an ongoing basis without really upsetting everyone including Mueller and Neuer. I think it's something that eventually just has to happen. At some point, there has to be a player pinpointed to lead this club into its next generation. I don't think that Kimmich at his age, which, you know, he's still relatively young. I don't think that he is, you know, someone in the same boat as a Paul Vonner or, or someone that young where they are the next generation. Just like I said, Kimmich is a bridge 
not just in the locker room, but from generation to generation. He is the one that can unite the old with the new and make it all work and to be that voice for the players and to be that that really that person that is able to work with the coaching staff and the players to make sure that everyone is aligned. He's got that powerful and important of a voice, even at this point. So Kimmich is, is a no doubt good choice. If Mueller and Neuer are not on the pitch, I think the armband definitely goes to Kimmich. But the other very interesting thing that we learned about Kimmich this week is he almost got into another brawl at the World Cup. And while we know zero specifics about it, we do know that he had an altercation with a teammate. So when thinking about Kimmich and his interactions, of course, we talked about his fire and his energy and how he really is always operating at 100% in terms of intensity. He doesn't rarely on the pitch or in training does he really ramp it down. So we've seen him have really blowouts with Antonio Rudiger. We've I've seen him yell at Thomas Muller on the pitch. I've seen him get into it with Marco Royce, Erling Haaland, There's many other players, including some of whom are his Germany teammates. So yes, uh, when it comes to to all that, I am not shocked that 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 Kimmich had some kind of altercation with a teammate in Qatar. I don't know, you know, right now it doesn't appear as though things got physical, but it does seem like there it was very contentious. The thing that the missed biggest mystery is who, who was it? And I wrote a whole post just having a little fun at some of the possibilities. I think most people got the joke, but some of you did not. So, uh, you know, when it comes to situations like this, because we don't know, we're just taking the news that's there and, and we're trying to put our spin on it to to relay it to you guys. So, you know, when you think about it and you, you look at the situation, like there was a lot going on with that Germany team. There were a lot of butting of the heads, not just with the very controversial one love armband situation and who wanted to make a political statement versus who didn't. Um, you had that whole thing. You had people competing for positions. You had a coach being accused of favoring Bayern players. You had Unhappy players like Ilkay Gundogan and Marc-Andre Ter Stegen uh, leaked to the media afterwards that they weren't really happy with their roles. You had a lot going on. So none of this shocks me that, that Kimmich might have gotten into some kind of spat with someone on the squad. It's just a matter of who it was. And I know that the first and reigning sentiment is hopefully it wasn't a Bayern Munich player, but you never know because, you know, listen, when Kimmich gets going, it's very tough to get him to tone it down. So if he does eventually going back to to the original point and become captain, hopefully he can find a way to balance that intensity a little bit. So it doesn't get to the point where there are altercations in the Bayern Munich locker room, though in today's professional sporting environment, it does appear that it's unlikely you can ever have a totally and truly harmonious locker room these days. The third thing that we learned this week is that, there's a lot going on with Bayern Munich's young players. First and foremost, we did see that Arjen Ibrahimovic has signed a pre-contract that will turn professional into a professional contract when he is 18. This means that the youngster will be going with the club to Doha in January and will be training with the first team on what looks to be a very permanent basis. Now, oh, how does that work? Where does he fit in on this first team? Obviously, right now, I don't think it means much, if any, playing time for Ibrahimovic. I think he would still have to go to the U19s or to Bayern Munich 2 to get that playing time. 
Uh, but as far as an everyday training environment, I think this is something that he really pushed for because in a lot of other clubs, he would be the prize prospect getting the opportunity. He would be the person that the club is pointing to as the leader of its next generation. At Bayern Munich, I don't know if he's that guy. There are several candidates for that, but I do think he's among a very strong young player, a contingent of young players that could be that next wave for Bayern. Uh, Ibrahimovic is mostly known as an attacking midfielder, though he has played uh, on the wings as well. He he can do pretty much play both positions aptly and can produce from both. The problem at Bayern Munich, when you have a player like Ibrahimovic and another player in Paul Vonner, who I'm going to talk about in a little bit, you have two young guys that basically are their best position is as an attacking midfielder. But when you look at the club, look at the depth that they have at that spot. Jamal Musiala is obviously one of the most dynamic and best players in the plant on the planet right now. He there's there's no saying he has the potential to be. He he really is. I mean, he is that good. With Musiala at that position, you have Thomas Muller, one of the club's all-time great players who in my mind still has a lot to offer, but it might not be at that spot because it seems like Julian Nagelsmann wants to just hand the reins to Musiala at this point and push Muller to be the club's new striker, which I don't think will work out, but what do I know? Um, in addition to Musiala and Muller, you have Ryan Gravenberg, who was one of the club's prize transfers from last summer, who I assumed he would come here as a six or an eight, just given his size, his ability, what his position, what his position was previously in his career. I thought he would... It, really be an eight and potentially a six just given what his skill set is but apparently he has really struggled defensively they don't really trust him to be a six so now he's being pushed into the mix at 10 which I can't see how he's going to get much if any playing time aside of all of that you still have Serge Gnabry who sees himself as a 10 Leroy Sané, who has performed pretty well as a 10 last season, even though he was part of really a, a dual 10 setup working in half spaces. Um, you have those kind of players who also have featured in that role. Kingsley Coman is another who has played in that role one time or another under Julian Nagelsmann. There's just a lot of depth at the 10 right now. So when you look at it, where does Ibrahimovic fit eventually? Is he a 10? Is he at the wing? Is he going to be a wing? I, I don't know because right now at wing you have, come on, Gnabry, uh, Sadio Mane, who we often forget about because he's been injured, but he's, you know, again, the marquee transfer for the club last summer. He is certainly going to be on the pitch when he's healthy. Um, there are just so many other options right now. I don't know how Nagelsmann, who has been touted as a coach that works with and can integrate and develop young players, how he's going to get players like Ibrahimovic and Vonner on the pitch. Now, speaking of Vonner, something we learned about him this week, one, the ill-fated and ill-advised experiment with using him as a left back is over. Bayern Munich has reportedly discovered that Paul Vonner is not a left back, which I don't think anyone really thought he was going to be. Now the club is viewing him as an attacking midfielder. Again, like where is the playing time coming from? <laughs> with all of these number 10s walking around or as a wide midfielder that can operate in, in half spaces. So uh, with Vonner, it's very interesting because now it appears that the club is looking at Vonner, seeing that there is no pathway for playing time here. 
either he is not yet at the stage of his career where he can beat out some of those more established players or that they just think it's regardless of whether he can get some minutes here or there with Byron, his best option might be to go on loan somewhere where he can be a starter and get even more experience. So it does look like at this stage, the club has decided that they will keep Vonner on the roster for the rest of this season, at least as of now. And then we'll look to loan him out for the 2023-24 season. Um, to me, I, I wouldn't be opposed to giving him the opportunity to take a loan now. And that's strictly because I think he just needs playing time. If he truly is as good as Bayern Munich thinks he is, or as many of the observers who have watched him closely think he is, then I think it's about time. It's about time to let this kid run free and do what he does. In in the brief snippets that I've seen him, he has been electric with the ball in his foot. To me, very similar to Jamal Musiala in that he has some dazzling dribbling. He's very explosive in small spaces, and he's creative. I mean, they're two, in my mind, very similar players. And, and listen, I'm not going to say Vonner is the next Musiala. I hope he is. But I do say they have somewhat very similar traits, just based on the the, the relatively small sampling that I have seen of Vonner. And and maybe he is the type of player that could shift into a different kind of role. And maybe Nagelsmann will eventually play a formation that would allow him to operate in those half spaces like a 4-3-3. But either way, Vonner and Ibrahimovic are both considered to be great young talents. But I still don't see where they're eventually going to fit anytime in the near future. I think that really, in all honesty, it might be three years before something opens up for either one of those players. And to me, it would be very tough to find any type of scenario that would see both of them eventually breaking through as starters. Now, I want to be very clear. I hope that they do. Uh, And again, I'm not someone who spends a whole ton of time uh, devoted to watching full games for Bayern Munich 2 or the U19 team. I do watch on occasion. I definitely check the highlights. Uh, but like anybody else, I've got a busy schedule. I can't spend, you know, 60 hours a week watching games. I mean, at one point I probably was watching four to five Bundesliga games every weekend, maybe six. Like I was doing that, like staying up crazy hours, just watching them on uh, on demand. And, and and I was doing that, but I don't have that kind of time anymore. Plus I'm old and tired. And, you know, sometimes I get, I drink so much I pass out. So that, that also kind of, uh, <laughs> works against trying to stay on top of everything, but you know, and how we do follow these young players and, and the ability that we have to, to view what they do on the field. I will say they are both exciting and I think they both have a ton of potential. I do have some questions as to how Byron can keep them both happy and on track with the club, given what seems to be a very clogged pathway to first team playing time. The next thing that we learned this week is that Bayern Munich has reportedly narrowed down its striker search to a few names, all of whom you are familiar with. First and foremost, Harry Kane of Tottenham Hotspur. I've already talked about Harry Kane a million times here. Would be a great addition to Bayern Munich. I don't really know how feasible it is. I really doubt that that Harry Kane wants to move on at this point at his career from England, maybe not from Tottenham Hotspur, but definitely like, I don't know that he wants to leave the premier league and why I feel the need to always say Harry Kane, instead of just calling him Kane. I don't know. It seems like it just flows together all the time. Like Harry Kane, Harry Kane, not just Kane wants to go to Bayern Munich or whatever, but either way, that's just a weird little thing I have inside of me there. But Harry Kane 
to me, while he may be the number one target on this list, might be the most difficult for Bayern Munich to convince to make the move. Uh, the second name we saw on this list was Marcus Thuram of Borussia Mönchengladbach, who is reportedly available for about 10 million euros this winter. Um, to me, I don't know. I'm not so sure that Thuram represents much different than what you could get out of other players on this roster. Uh, I think he's a very, very good player. I do. Uh, but to me, I think if you were going to go that route, you could also try Serge Gnabry at the number nine. I just don't know that Thuram represents much different than what you have. The third and final name that we saw this week was Nicholas Fulkrug, who he was ruled out by Bayern Munich just a few weeks ago. So it was very curious to see his name brought back in. Now, Fulkrug is a great story in a lot of ways. He has been a, a player who has been on... I don't want to say smaller clubs, but he's really had to grind his way through lower tier clubs in the Bundesliga and Bundesliga two. He has been a player that has experienced tremendous obstacles, not just with major injuries, but just with trying to work his way up through Germany and be recognized for the talent that he has. I think now he, at this age, which I believe he is 29, if I'm not mistaken, he is starting to get that recognition as a truly dangerous number nine. But at the same time, I don't know how feasible it's going to be for Bayern Munich to make the move for him. Now, it would be cheap, and I think he would be effective. But how different would he be than Eric Maxim Chupomoting? I don't know. I mean, Chupomoting is a whole different category now because it looks like he wants to leave Bayern Munich to take a starting role elsewhere and and to really get paid more elsewhere. And that's possible. So that's on the table. But either way, full Krug, I think, could do, do the job, at least as a bridge-type striker, to take this team for a season or two until Bayern can figure out what the next real step is. And whether that's Matisse Tell being anointed the next striker or the club going out and getting someone, which appears to be the way things are going to go. Um I don't know for sure how this is really going to shake out. I don't know if the club really truly views Fulkrug as someone that they would like to see in that role. I mean, just a few weeks ago, we saw the stories that said like, hey, Fulkrug's doing great, but we're not interested. How things have changed over the course of the last 10 to 14 days, I don't know. But I wouldn't completely rule it out because, listen, in, in football, especially with how Germany's, ro- uh, excuse me, Bayern Munich's roster is constantly in flux, it wouldn't shock me if the club looked at Fulkrug again, decided this could be a player that we can get on the cheap, someone that could do the job, and would at least give us some insurance should Chupo Moting decide to move on or if Thomas Muller doesn't work out as number nine. So those are the three options. I think right now, realistically, Fulkrug and Thuram are the most realistic from a club standpoint. If I was going to make the call on this, obviously you would want Harry Kane. I don't think you can get him, but I wouldn't mind them dipping their toes in the water to go and get Fulkrug. I think he's still got the ability. I think he's way more than a tap-in merchant, and I think he could be the type of figure for a year or two that could help the club stay competitive at the high levels in Europe. And no, he's not Robert Lewandowski. He's not Erling Haaland, but there's enough talent around him. And, and, and really, if you look at that base of talent surrounding the striker position, just to have someone capable there could, could work wonders. And I think Fulkrug has shown that at a minimum, he is capable. Uh, 
And that will bring us to really, you know, what is the final thing that I've learned this week. And, and what I've learned is that Bayern Munich still, despite all the talent on its roster, they still have some work to do in terms of filling it out. So what should Bayern Munich ask for for Christmas? What should they hit up Santa Claus for? Most people would point to a striker like we just talked about. Some people would say, absolutely got to ask for Harry Kane and deliver him in the summer and that would be the best. And it might be. Some people are already looking at the center back situation and they're saying, well, Luca Hernandez, another injury. Uh, Who knows if he can come back. I I certainly have some questions as to whether with that type of injury, he's going to be able to recapture that explosiveness that he had, something that was truly the differentiator for him at that position, Uh, his ability to explode and, and, and his speed and being able to compete against even the fastest of strikers. It's a big question whether he's going to retain that. And, you know, right now there are some questions about the other center backs. Upamakano has really solidified himself and pretty much aside of the, the brain cramp here or there that he experiences, he's he's really solidified himself as a number one option. But Matthijs De Ligt, I feel like, has has really opened up the question. So some people are really wondering, should, should Bayern go out and, and potentially get another center back? They had been linked to Yasko Garvidal, but he is off the table now, according to Brazo. Will Benjamin Bavard re-up, and can he be that center back? Again, lots of questions with that. You know, what else would Bayern Munich want for Christmas? A new manager? Some people would say that. I would not, but some people would point that. So what should Bayern Munich ask for? And I think when you really boil down to it and you look at everything and how this roster is is really comprised, you have to look at one thing. And I, I do think Bayern Munich needs a striker. And, and I don't necessarily even think they need to have it in place, their next generation striker in place next summer. I don't. But I think if you wanted to look at it from this perspective, if you wanted to fill that immediate need next summer, you could go that bridge route like we just talked about with Full Crew, who I think could do the job for a season or two and get you to where you want to be, a position to where you could land a bigger name, more high-profile striker. Or you could just want to make a splash and go for it all next summer and, and bring in Harry Kane or make a pursuit of Dusan Vlahovic, who – it appears by all accounts could be available uh, from Juventus shortly. Um, you could also maybe put this wish list out a year or two and 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 ask Santa to bring you Erling Holland and hope that you can get that bridge like full Krug. And hopefully Santa could deliver Holland in a couple of seasons after he's done toying with the Premier League. Of course, that's my pipe dream. That's probably what I would ask for. The full Krug to Holland, the full Krug bridge to Holland would be the best move for me, but I'm not sure how realistic that would be either. So either way, I would want to know from you, what should Bayern Munich ask for? Regardless of what you celebrate at this time of year, what your holiday is, what would Bayern Munich's wish list look like for you? So what I would like you to do is either hit me up on social media telling me what you think Byron should do, what's the one thing that they should they should hit Santa Claus up for, or you can drop it in the comments, which would be awesome to see. I would love to know what you think is that one thing that Bayern Munich needs. And it doesn't even have to be a player. It could be an, an, an ideology. It could be an ideology. It could be a system. You could say, I really want Byron to play a 3-5-2, which I, I doubt there's many people that want that. But if that's what you want, I would love to hear that. So, 
do me a favor, drop that in the comments or hit me on social media. I'd love to hear that. Uh, what's the one thing that Bayern Munich should ask Santa Claus for? So to wrap things up, and I, I will admit, I'm still, if for those of you who care about my great iPod, iPad hunt, I still have not found that damn thing. I tried to do the find my iPhone and it's it's not showing up. I, I'm like distraught about this iPad. I'm still blaming my wife for it, although she doesn't want to hear that. Um, I, I do believe that she hit it and she doesn't remember where she did, which is she might be like at her advancing age and she'd kill me if she actually listened to this podcast. She's 44. So uh, maybe in her advancing age there, she's starting to forget things. <laughs> and I'm so confident in saying that, that she's never going to listen to this podcast. So I could probably give you all kinds of, of dirt on her, <laughs> but I won't just to spare my own uh, well-being. Because if she did somehow get her hands on this, I'd probably end up in a box somewhere buried. Anyway, um, I do want to say thank you to everyone that has made this podcast such a success. And not just this podcast, but our entire Bavarian podcast work, podcast works network. Uh, we have the flagship show, our preview shows, our post game shows, our special editions. Uh, we love bringing these to you, and they really couldn't be possible without all of you listening, all of your interactions that you give us. Uh, we do enjoy doing this. I personally love doing this show every week. Uh, I'd probably like to have a little more um, guests and co-hosts on than I do, but you know, this gets recorded at all different times, which doesn't really always align with the consistent schedule. You might need to book those kinds of things. So, um, you know, personally, I appreciate all of you. I, I, I love when you guys hit me up on Twitter. I love when you guys drop me comments. And, uh, you know, it's just always great to have this audience to be able to talk to every week and really to get your thoughts. And I know like a lot of you don't always agree with what I say, and that's great too. I I love how in most cases we're able to have a back and forth without insulting each other and, (laughs) and be able to communicate what we think and what our ideas are together. Um, to me, it's always great. Uh, I just really enjoy doing this and, you know, thanks for everything that you do to help keep us going at Bavarian Podcast Works and also with the site Bavarian FB Works. Got a lot of exciting stuff going on there. Uh, one of my favorite annual t- traditions is on right now, the My Bad Take series, which is where we uh, detail out some of our bad takes from the course of the year and also some of the thoughts we're having right now that are probably bad takes. Um, it doesn't mean that they are accurate. doesn't mean that they are going to happen. It just means these are some of the weird or odd things that we think about. Some of, some of, some of which are already deemed bad. Like there are several of mine that were bad. I openly admitted in the first uh, post that we had in the series that I thought Germany would do well at the World Cup. And guess what? They did not. Um, and some others that we have that are either that have been released or that are released, some are forward thinking that are potentially bad takes. Some are ones that we've had uh, either this year or ones that we are finally ready to admit were bad takes. And yep, you guessed it. I'm finally writing that I was wrong about Jan Fita Arp. So uh, still would love him to prove me correct, but it doesn't look likely at this stage. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Much appreciated. You can always get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get our site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get our tweetmeister, Tom Adams, at TommyAdams71. Hit up his Instagram, too. He's a, he's like an active poster on, on Instagram. I don't know what his handle is, but I'm sure you can find him. Uh, I need no name, at B-F-W-I-N-N-N. And you can get all of the other great podcasters and writers in our in our network. They all do such a good job 
terms of capturing the news, giving opinions, and also just having some fun with everything. So uh, really like the work that we're doing on the site and really most of all, like interacting with all of you at the opportunities that we have to do that. So thank you all for listening. Have a couple of beers on me this weekend. Enjoy yourself and we will see you next time.